Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. Actually, I'm going to read this whole passage again, and we're going to focus on 19 through 21. They read in Jesus' name, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the wisdom of it. And I pray that you would guide us, Lord, that as we come to you and as we study your word, that you would change our hearts, that we might see you and know you better and see and know this world better too. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I said this world, but really it's a matter of our flesh because the flesh uh, the world, they just live according to their flesh. And so when Paul's talking to us here saying, hey, don't live according to your flesh, he's really saying don't live according to the world because that's what the world does. That's, they don't know the Spirit. They don't walk with the Spirit. They know law and they know desire. And those are the only things they know. But they don't know, they don't know love. They don't know joy. They don't know the fruits of the Spirit. And so as, as Paul starts out here and he tells us, Paul is focusing on the actions. And specifically, now the works of the flesh are evident. And then in verse 21, um, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so when we think about this, when we think about Paul talking about this, the, the fruits that come, We need to think about all of these sins in terms of, okay, these are the practices, but what comes at the beginning of this? So when Kirsten and I first moved to St. James, um, we wanted to have a bird feeder. And we thought, it'd be fun to have a finch feeder out there. And so then we got the thistle seeds and we got the finch feeder. And since then, we have been fighting thistles. Ever since then. I know they're, they're supposed to be like irradiated or something so that they're not supposed to germinate. They did. They did germinate. And so the finches were kind enough to plant these seeds all over our garden and our yard. And I've been fighting thistles ever since, which is one of the reasons I'm moving to a place with thistles too. <laughs> no. Um, what? <laughs> Richard planted those ones. Um, no, so when we think about the thistle, where did that thistle start? 
Like, we've got thistles in our yard. Where did that start? Well, someone, Lindy must have come and planted thistle plants into our yard because he's got a green thumb. And he can make thistles grow. Yeah, that's about it. No, you don't, you don't start with the plant. You start with the seed. And so Paul is saying, okay, you guys, you've got thistles in your yard. You've got problems. Well, yeah. But as Christians, how do we think about this stuff? Do we think about it just as the final product? Or do we also look at the fruit of this? Or do we look at the beginning of this, the seed, the germ of these things? Where does all this stuff start? Because it produces this. Where does it start? Well, so I was praying about this and um, asking that question, Lord, how do, we, how do we consider these things? Because I would hope that none of you are walking in these fruits. None of these acts, these deeds, these final results. But where does this start in our lives? And so as, we, as I was praying about that, where does this start, Lord? It actually divided in my mind into three categories. So I was like, all right, I guess we'll talk about that. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Now, these are the fruits of what happens when we live our lives for the rush. When we live our lives for that which excites. That which is the new, the... The, well, the new, the exciting, the, the invigorating. When we live our lives for that. Now, am I saying that excitement is bad? Well, I'm Norwegian, and just because we don't get that way doesn't mean it's wrong. It's okay to get excited. Nathan, it's okay to get excited sometimes. But when we, it, but when we live our lives for that, we start to fall into these problems. We start to fall into the problems of sexual immorality. We start to fall into the problems of sensuality. We start to fall into the problems of impurity because we exhaust the excitement of the normal. Those things which are normal become normal. And so then we need to go further. And this is what happens when in Actually, in the drug culture, you start small and you get bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of these things affect our dopamine systems in the exact same way that drugs do. Because your dopamine, your dopamine is your, that excitement that drives you on. And so if I, sexual immorality, sensuality, and impurity all excite your dopamine system. And so if what's normal doesn't excite me anymore, now I have to go to the novel. And I have to keep moving and moving into this. And so as we're living our lives for that which excites us, for that which invigorates us, for that which gives us that rush, we will end up in these places if we follow that. We plant those seeds and we live our lives allowing that stuff to grow. Now, no, Kirsten and I have been fighting these thistles. And so I was going to say, oh, the problem is we didn't fight the thistles hard enough. We're like, eh, no, we did. Um, but when you plant those seeds, this is what comes. And now you might be saying, well, really? No, it's, it's true. We're talking about two different levels of plant. But what you plant is what you reap, right? 
And so if that becomes the goal of your life, you will start to live for hedonism. Whether that ex- expresses itself in sexual immorality or it expresses itself simply in sensuality, the desire to be pleased for pleasure. You know, that's where gluttony and drunkenness come in too. These things come in at that place. That's where laziness actually ties into some of this stuff. Well, nothing, nothing pleases me, so I'm just going to relax. No, it's, it, it's all about the senses. And so when we pursue that rush, not that that rush is bad, but that rush is actually supposed to be a secondary thing. As we're pursuing Christ, he gives us things to become excited about. But if I'm pursuing that excitement, Jesus doesn't always give us things to be excited about. Sometimes the spiritual disciplines are discipline. Sometimes coming to work, church is work. I'm sorry. I'm not always exciting, believe it or not. Nathan's like, yep, <laughs> he's Norwegian. <laughs> but that's the end result. And so when the rush becomes our idol, sensuality, sexual immorality, and impurity, the novel, become the fruit. Well, so what happens then when we pursue control? Do any of you know someone who pursues control? Put my hand down. I wasn't raising it because it's, no. Um, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. These are all mechanisms of control. Ways by which we control others or ways by which we control the world. And so if we are living our lives for control, whether that control is our image, our position, our pride, or whether that control is actually seeking to be able to be in power over someone else. Because idolatry, why do people pursue idols instead of submitting to God? Because if they do the right thing, those idols will do, supposedly do what they're told. And so the Israelites pursued idolatry. Um, Old Testament, they talk about Baal. Baal was a storm god. And Israel was in a place that if they didn't get rain, they didn't get crops. So they left Egypt, which had the Nile, and all they had to do was carry buckets there. You know, you could always irrigate off of the Nile because the Nile was always there. But in Israel, you were reliant on the rain. And so they worshipped the storm god Baal. Because if Baal, if they got Baal to remember to bring rain, they would always have crops. It didn't work out because it, it failed because um, Baal wasn't actually in charge of the rain. But nevertheless, as they worshipped Baal, they were trying to entice him. Bring rain, bring rain, bring rain. They thought they could control Baal by giving the right offerings, by giving the right sacrifices. This is Islam too. Islam runs in the exact same way because Islam, if you do enough good works, if you do enough good things in the name of Allah, you will go to heaven. If you don't, you won't. It's all on you. You are in control of your destiny. All you have to do is do the right things and you can manipulate this God. Idolatry is all about control. As we joked in men's Bible study yesterday, Um, in the beginning God created man in his his image and man has been trying to return the favor ever since. So we've been trying to suppress God and raise ourselves up. Idolatry is all about control. 
Sorcery is all about control. Because sorcery is magic. How can I control this world? How can I make the sun shine or, or hurt someone else without actually touching them? How can I do that? That's sorcery. It's all about control. Enmity. Hatred of someone else. Why do we hold grudges? Is it to punish someone else? What was it? Someone told me once that holding a grudge is like drinking poison, hoping that someone else gets sick. Like, that makes a lot of sense. But we hold that grudge in order to punish them. We're trying to gain, gain control, control to bring judgment upon someone else. And so we hold on to that grudge. We hold on to that hatred, that enmity that's in us. We hold on that in order to control someone else, to bring pain. Because bringing pain is a type of control. Strife, we cause problems. Strife and dissension really come from that same root. We cause problems within this situation because we're trying to rise to the top. And so you stir the soup hoping that you're the one that rises to the top, that you're the one that gains control. And some people do that through causing problems and making headaches for the people that are in charge, hoping that finally I'll just be given control. It's about control. And so if we live our, and I, I can go through all of these, but if I'm living my life for control, this is what's going to come. There will always, how many of you like it when there's drama going on around you? Isn't that fun? Just love drama. No, not at all. But if I'm living my life for control, you know what's going to surround me? Drama. Drama's going to surround me because everybody else wants control too. But if I'm walking in humility, if, if we're walking in humility, is there going to be strife and divisions and dissension? Why? Because we're going to be willing to listen. We're going to be willing to talk. We're going to be willing to work through things. We're not going to just hold it over someone else's head and hold grudges over them and cause them problems because we don't like them and we feel like causing them problems. We're not going to have that drama. But if we're trying to control our world, we're going to create drama everywhere we go. We're going to create dissension. We're going to create division. Dissension is um, separation between, you know, within hierarchy and division is separation between people. We're going to cause that and we're going to be the cause of it because that's the fruit of the flesh. That's what happens. So you're like, well, why is there so much drama there? People are trying to be in control. They're trying to control something. So they're causing strife in order to be in control. That's what happens. And so if we're pursuing control apart from trusting God to actually be in control, we're pursuing it on our own terms, in our own ways, this is the fruit. This is the fruit. And you look around your life and you say, there's drama everywhere. Maybe we need to submit to God and entrust our goals, our hopes, our desires, our dreams to Him instead of being in control and trying to make it happen all on our own. So we submit to God. We can then trust that God God will bring about his will, which is better than ours. Then release. Drunken envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I don't want to hold it in anymore. I just want that release. 
I just want to give over to it. I want to just give everything over to it. I don't want to have to make these decisions. And that's what happens when we seek release. And we live in a culture that actually encourages that. You just, just blow up. It'll make you feel better. Just vent it all to another person who can't actually do anything about it. It'll make you feel better. So why do they encourage this release to make them feel better? How many of you have ever How many of you have ever complained to someone else? Anybody here? Did it make you feel better or did it entrench it entrench it deeper into you? And that's what's going on. This divisions and envy, they do that same thing. We express these things and they cause problems and it's just, it makes it worse. I have never known a drunkard that has said, I'm really happy with my life. You know, it, it just doesn't happen. Why? Because it just makes it worse. But as I'm seeking release, I'm seeking relief of this pressure that I'm under. Whatever the pressure is. If it's something that your parents put on you, something your culture is putting on you, something that you put on you, which ultimately we can't blame our parents and our culture because we're the ones that have taken those things and allowed those things to be over us. We are responsible for the expectations that we have for ourselves. We are responsible for the expectations we have for others. If we seek that release, instead of seeking godly guidance with those expectations, we're going to run into these problems. Because it's God, only God can properly guide us when it comes to our expectations of ourselves and our expectations of others. How many of you ever used the word should or ought? Any of you? Well, people shouldn't do that. Well, I, I ought to do this. Actually, most people probably don't say that. I said that to a, a person that was going through premarital counseling. You know, when we use the word should or ought, and she stopped me, she said, I have never used the word ought. It's like, wow, I have to update my vocabulary. <laughs> Something serious, ought. When we use the word should or we use the word ought in our own minds or on someone else, towards ourselves or towards someone else, we're actually setting up a law. We're setting up an expectation. Whether those expectations are legitimate or not, we're still setting that up. And so when we set up that expectation for ourselves, we become under the pressure of that expectation. And so why do people seek release? Because they're living under expectations that either they don't want to fulfill, but they think they should, or they can't fulfill. And so then how do we deal with that? How do we deal with this pursuit of release, this desire for it? It isn't just about surrendering to God. It's actually about bringing your expectations, your view of yourself and the others' view of you to God. Lord, if I don't do this, what are people going to think of me? And God says, isn't it my opinion that matters? Right? I can win the whole world and yet lose my soul and what good does the whole world do for me? And so if I'm not bringing these expectations to God, and how do we find them? We find them by looking at pressure. Where are those pressures that I'm under? Is it God that's put this on me or someone else? Because if you don't do that, if you don't bring those expectations to God, you're going to pursue release 
in an ungodly manner, and you're going to enter in to the fruits of unrighteousness, which God says those who practice them, they don't enter into the kingdom of God. Why? Is it because Christians don't want excitement? You would think that sometimes, right? But no, it's not because it's not because Christianity shouldn't be exciting. It's that excitement isn't a first. It follows along as we're seeking God. The Jews have a saying, there's a Jewish saying, um, happiness is like walking into the sun looking for your shadow. If you're seeking the sun, happiness will follow you. But if you're pursuing your shadow, it's always going to run ahead of you and you will never catch it. Unless, of course, you're Peter Pan. But there, Wendy, Wendy sewed it on with soap. Now she put it on. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. It's been too long since I've watched Peter Pan. But happiness is like our shadow. If we're pursuing God, happiness will always follow. Excitement is the same way. If you're pursuing God, you can rely on him to bring these things. But if you're chasing them, you're chasing excitement for its own, you're going to fall into a hole. You're going to enter into these fruits of the flesh because God says, I'm your God. If you're seeking control, you're going to cause drama. It's going to fill your life. But if you're trusting God, drama won't have any hold on you because you don't need to be in control. If you're seeking release, you will always live under the expectations of others or yourself instead of God's expectations for you. You'll always be seeking release because you cannot please other people. You guys ever tried to make someone else happy? How'd that go? <laughs> Bad. It doesn't work. We submit to God. And then we don't need release because he provided he provides forgiveness, and cleansing, and confession. So if we're walking in these things, that means we're not seeking the Lord. That's the problem of all of this. That's the fruit. That's the seed that bears these fruits. Any questions? So either I explained it really well or it's so poorly. <laughs> problem is you don't know which side. But this is important. When we see these things, this desire for novelty, the rush, when we see this desire for control, and when we see this desire for release in our lives, we need to bring those to God and have him correct them. Otherwise, this stuff, this works of the flesh, they will become evident in our lives and none of us want those. None of us. Because God says those who walk in them, not only do you not want them here, it makes eternity far worse. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for laying this stuff out and this, this call then not to just not do these things, but rather that as we walk in your spirit, that we don't need to walk in these things. That there's, they have no weight on us. They have no hold. And so Father, guide us. Guide us that you might be glorified in us. Lord, and I'm excited that we get to walk it with your spirit, working with you in this world, pursuing your expectations and your goals and your desires. Lord, may we submit to you and trust in you.
Jesus' name, amen.